Whether you're a road warrior, harrier, or track purist, whether you came of age in the 70s as amateurism waned, the 80s and the rise of shamateurism, or the dawning of professionalism in the early 90s, there will be something for you in the latest installment of the Runner's Reunion Podcast. Along with co-hosts Ron Galuli and John Gorman, I'm Grant Whitney. Good morning and welcome to the next installment of the Runner's Reunion Podcast. My name's Grant Whitney and along with my co-hosts Ron Galuli and John Gorman, it is our pleasure this morning uh, to welcome Karen Smyers, a well-known New England triathlon and running name. And before we really dive into um, the conversation, I, I need to ask John first a little bit now that we're looking at, oh, I don't know, eight, nine inches of snow coming down fast and furious. How is Bonnie Bell uh, adapting to her first snowfall? Well, Bonnie couldn't be happier. I think she's glad she's not a house cat. She went outside and played and quite a natural experience for her. And uh, we're happy about that. But yeah, she loves it. And she just doesn't know how to shovel. That's the only problem. So yeah, but, uh, that comes, but I think she's a snow work on that. Yep. Going yep. to work on yep. that one. This is great. Yep. Can't wait well, to go running with her. Uh, well, lucky you, because apparently my guy, my 125-pound greater Swiss mountain dog, has forgotten that he's Swiss and should love the snow, but apparently does not want to have anything to do with it. Uh, he's not going to drag me. He's not going to shovel. So really, he's no good to me today. <laughs> but 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 Karen, if I understand it right, you've got a dog. And, uh, um, you know, what's today like uh, for your stout four-legged uh, yes. friend? Um, I do have a dog, Lulu, who loves to be out in the snow and um, would probably love it if I would take her out for a run in this uh, weather today. But uh, I think I'm going to take a pass and maybe wait till tomorrow. There you my go. The problem with my dog is um, I, I take her with me sometimes when I cross country ski and I cannot figure out how to teach her not to run on the tracks. So <laughs> she ruins the cross country <laughs> ski tracks if I take her. So that's a problem. <laughs> Well, yes, yes. And, and you don't want to run afoul of uh, your fellow. Uh, well, is that, are, are you doing a backcountry or are you doing are, are you doing a track and skate? I can't take her when it's, uh, you know, like a Western ski track or something, but oh, I just okay. can go out my back door. There's a uh, I live at the end of a cul-de-sac where there's people just make their own trails. And that's where yeah, people would probably get upset if they know that the tracks they've just made have just been ruined. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, we, we don't want that. We don't need that on your pedigree, uh, for sure. So so let's turn attention here. I'm we're going to jump right in and I'll, I'll just get things off. But, you know, Ron and, and John will jump right in. Um, I may have my numbers wrong. But as I understand it, you uh, going way back in the day, because we got to figure out what's behind your incredible career, your star cross career. Um, uh, but nevertheless, really one for the ages. And you came from a family, you had seven or is it eight siblings growing up in Connecticut? Am, am yeah, I right on um, that? I had, well, six official siblings, so seven of us, but I also had a cousin that ended up living with us for a few years. So we thought of ourselves as kind of a, a family of 10, including my parents for uh, many of my uh, formative years. So yeah, we had a full, full household. Um, and it was fantastic. Yeah. We had our own little football team if we wanted it just about. <laughs> well, now, and, and, and that brings me to my next question, because I was reading in an article back in the Hartford current 
back in your heyday that that talked about some of the, the, those early years and something along the lines of your father, Bill, kind of loading, I guess, six or seven of you into a car and on a regular basis driving to Middleton for like biathlon or, you know, run, swim kinds of things. What was that all about? <laughs> yeah, well, um, that's, uh, that's bring me back, but it's um, very sweet of you to mention that because my dad just passed away like a week oh, ago. Sorry. So, um, oh, sorry it, to hear that. It's sorry. fine because it's bringing back some really, really good memories of, um, of the things we used to do together. And that is one thing we discovered, or I think my dad and brother heard about this Middleton bi- biathlon and um, it was a swim uh, run event. And at the time, all of us kids were on the swim team and uh, we also liked to run a little bit, although none of us were, what would you consider runners at the time? Um, but the, my, my dad and brother, I think were the first ones that decided they were going to train for this thing. And so I got kind of caught up and said, oh, if you guys are doing it, I'm doing it. And um, and I'm sure a couple other siblings jumped into, I, I'm not sure there were seven of us, but <laughs> several of us, I know, oh. did it several years in a row. And um, okay. And, but that was my first multi-sport event. Yeah, for sure. And it was, uh, it was a blast. And um, yeah, my, uh, my dad definitely liked to train for stuff like that. My, both my parents would go and swim laps on a regular basis and uh, they played tennis and they were very active. um, Although they were never kind of, you know, on teams growing up, but they definitely encouraged the kids to be athletic and um, did whatever they could to, you know, sign us up for events and make sure we could get to, uh, our different, uh, sporting events. So they enabled us for sure. Is it true that it was really not the, the Weathersford town swimming team, but it was really the Smyers Weathersford <laughs> swim team. I'm sure some of the families might've thought that, yeah, we all were on the swim team and, um, uh, yeah, the town championships, it would often, uh, be interesting because there'd be some one Smyers in every single age, you know, it was two year age groups and there'd be at least one of us in every age group, I think. Um, but we had a few other families in town with lots of kids back in the sixties and seventies. That wasn't quite as um, outrageous as it is these days. And, um, so I remember there were a couple other families that also had lots of kids and lots of age groups. So we weren't alone. Just to kind of peg us. Um, that first time you did that biathlon, how old were you? I would guess I was, um, 13 or 14. I'm thinking, um, I'd have to check on that, but I do remember it was my first time ever doing a like running race type thing. And, uh, it was a, you ran first and then swam. And so running was the thing I was, you know, most new to, but I thought I was a pretty good runner just from some stuff we'd done and, you know, like training for the, um, physical fitness test, you know, you had to do the thing was a 800 or mile. I can't remember, but I'd had enough little, you know, experiences with running that I thought, Oh yeah, I think I'm a pretty good runner. And, um, I think it was a four mile run. So I'd done a little bit of training to see if I could build up to it. Maybe I'm wrong. I, that's what I'm sort of remembering, but maybe it was less than that seemed long at the time, but maybe I thought two miles was long, but in any case, I remember doing it. And after about 10 minutes, having a stomach cramp, you know, a, a side stitch that was so debilitating. I basically had to walk. And I remember just being so devastated that I like all these people were running by me while I was on the side of the road, trying to catch my breath and figure out how I could breathe with this, you know, stabbing pain in my uh, ribs. And, um, 
I eventually kind of managed to uh, get back going again. And I remember diving in the water and being so mad that I was so far behind and having to, you know, pass all these people in the water because I was in a good, a good swimmer at the time. Uh, but I remember being a little disappointed at my uh, multi-sport debut for sure. Cause I'm thinking that I, gosh, how, you know, how do you run when you have that pain in your side? <laughs> So I have a soft spot for whenever I see kids running um, and I see them, you know, I put on a kid's try and if I see them holding their side, I'm like, oh, I know how you feel, <laughs> you know, try and get rid of it. It's okay. So Karen, uh, we have a, a Facebook, there's a Facebook uh, page that's Runners Reunion Facebook page. And I posted last night that we're going to have you on today. And uh, a guy named uh, Nick Patone, I think I don't know if he's from Connecticut, Rhode Island, but he said he ran the Manchester road race with you. Uh, you. You didn't know him, but he were right with him the whole time. And and I think he ran his fastest five miler because you pushed him. You know, you were there the whole oh, time. Yeah. And uh, so it made me think, what, who was a person that you competed against both in triathlon and running that when you showed up to the starting line, you looked and went, oh, no, I can't lose this person. Or, you know, it's like Newman. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like that like they just like oh now i know i'm gonna have to go 110 percent yeah because uh, those are the people that make you better right yeah yeah uh, for sure. is there anybody in both both um i'm or, trying to think if there was anyone that did you know not, there weren't that many triathletes you know once i was sort of into my professional career that would also do a lot of running races at least in my area you know i was one of the only new england triathletes you know there just weren't hmm. that many pros from our area. So I, I, I could be wrong. I just can't offhand think of anybody that did both, but for sure I had my rivals, you know, um, in the triathlon world, like Nikili Jones was somebody that I just, I love to race her. I mean, I, my heart would sink when I find out she was also going to be there because I knew, oh my gosh, in order to win this race, I'm going to have to be firing mm -hmm. on all cylinders. And I knew that there was like, I had a comparative advantage on, on her, on hilly bike rides. Like that was the one place I was pretty sure I'd be able to get a little bit of a lead, but, um, you know, she could out sprint me in a run. So if I did not have a lead starting the run, I was in trouble, but anyway, so I, I really enjoyed racing against her, um, running wise. There were people, I'm trying to remember the names now, um, like Marty Shea, um, uh, mm -hmm. she was, a, a someone that I would run into, um, uh, Julie, gosh, what's her last name? I'll, I'll come up with some Oh, names. Peterson? Yes, yes. Julie Peterson, yeah. yeah. Yep. yep. Good one. Um, so, and though, but I was very, you know, I, I didn't feel as um, pressure to win in running races, I think, after I had my triathlon career. It was fun for me to do the running races, but I don't think I felt as, like, much of a, like, I can't let that person beat me. You know, uh, for me, it was sort of a win-win, hmm. you know? Yeah, um, it's interesting. So again, yeah, I would always in the back of my head, if they beat me, I'd be like, well, let's get in the water then. I bet you I can outswim you. <laughs> it's a crutch, but that was my thought. So uh, uh, interest, interestingly enough, Karen, uh, Marty Shea, she's big into biking now. I know. Um, I think she does the Mountain Road Race and some other events. Um, but yeah, take us back to, yeah, I know Kim Ratcliffe was your roommate at Princeton, and she had some influence, I think, on your running career as well as your triathlon career uh right out of college and um right up until i think that uh uh breakout event at the bay state uh triathlon where you i think you tracked down allison Rowe, who was quite the runner and and passed her on the run so that's 
you know, going back in time, that's when I remember hearing your name and saying, wow, okay, she's a very good runner. She beat Allison Rowe in the run. I still don't know how that happened, actually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Kim was uh, instrumental because, um, you know, for one, when I was um, at Princeton my freshman year, I was a swimmer. And um, in high school, I had never really run. I was a gymnast and a tennis player on, on the other two seasons. Um, I definitely was of the mind in high school that why would you bother to go to school if you didn't have a sport to do after it? <laughs> so that was my driving, uh, you know, raison d'etre was um, I just loved having a sport in my life. And to be honest, a lot of times I had double sports because I would do the school gymnastics um, and then I would also do club swimming. So sometimes I can remember one of my particularly tough days during the week would be early morning swim uh, go to school all day, gymnastics after, after school, and then have my evening swim workout. So I guess I was sort of preparing myself for being a, uh, a multi-sport, you know, three sport athlete back then. Um, that was a hard day for sure, but we did have double swim practices sometimes. And, um, and then I also would have my, my school sport. So, um, but in any case, um, when I got to, um, to Princeton and decided to be a swimmer and that took up a lot of the, you know, we think we started in September with some preseason stuff. And then the season went through like March. Um, but I finally, and when swimming ended, um, I had a couple of months where I was like, Oh, I don't have a sport to do. And, uh, I didn't know what to do with myself. And, uh, Kim's like, you gotta, you gotta walk onto the, you know, track team, do spring track. And we had done a little bit of running for preseason, swim training. So it kind of gave me the idea that, yeah, actually, maybe I would like to do that. I've always, you know, thought I could be a decent runner. And so she kind of convinced me that I ought to, um, ought to just try it, try it out. So, um, she definitely gave me that push. And then she also is the first person that she discovered triathlon when we graduated. She's like, uh, you know what? I found out that there's this triathlon that has prize money. And I think if I train for it, I can earn enough money that it, it's like more than having a summer job. And I was like, that's amazing. I can't wait to see how that works out. And she did earn some prize money. And, uh, and that was totally what sold me on, on deciding to, to pick up triathlon with her. Wow. I, 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 money, really. <laughs> in it for the money. Well, it was like, yeah, it was like, wow, you got paid for doing something, a sport that's just <laughs> like a hobby for fun? <laughs> I, I didn't want to just leave uh, all of uh, college aside from that, because I, I think it's important for our listeners to note that what three of the four years uh, that you were on the swim team? Number one, Prince, you, you won the uh, the New Englands, I guess, the Princeton swim team, where it's or nationals, was it nationals? No, Prince, uh, we would have been Ivy League a champions. I'm, I think. Or a a i i a i a w champs too during that time. Uh, well, let's see. East, maybe Eastern. I don't Eastern, know, maybe that I was it. Know that we ever won Eastern, to be honest. But um, well, your press is really lousy, then, Karen. That's all I can say. <laughs> Sorry, the press is lousy. Um, <laughs> how did so? Peter Farrell is a longtime women's uh, distance coach uh, at Princeton. So how did you know? What was that like? You know, here's uh, somebody who's just come out of the pool, literally, um, and he's you know you're showing up at workouts all of a sudden. What was his What was his attitude? Well, it was really an interesting um, story. I talk about this quite a bit because um, it, it, I, it was formative. I went to talk to him and told him that I wanted to, um, you know, walk on to the 
track team, but that I was a um, swimmer. So I was, you know, had good aerobic capacity and, um, um, but I was very new to running and, you know, I thought maybe I could run the half mile or the mile or something. And, uh, he's like, okay, well, how much are you running right now? And I said, I can run three miles. And I remember adding without stopping because most <laughs> of the swimmers couldn't do that. Like they, we would do our like two and a half mile preseason run. And most of them would run a little and then have to walk, you know, I'm like, ah, oh, I kept running, you know? So I thought I was like a hot s-h-i-t and so um and i remember him sort of like you know stifling a laugh and he's like all right great you know well why don't you uh build up to being able to run an hour and then you can start coming to practices and i'm sure in his mind he was thinking like yeah let's get this some base behind this girl before we you know put her into these hard quality things and um so i'm like oh an hour holy you know geez all right and so i was just like wrapping my head around that thinking that that was forever and i started adding like five to ten minutes onto my runs and i think i got up to being able to run like 45 minutes but everything was hurting like from the neck down it was like my hips mm. my knees my ankles and I was just like, oh my God, I guess I can't do this. You know, I went back to him and I'm like, I'm up to 45 minutes, but like, this is killing me. Like, why do I have to run an hour if I'm just going to run a half mile or, and, uh, he kind of like thought about it and he's like, you know, why don't you jump into the hill repeats these girls are doing today? And so I ran these hill repeats where they're just short little, you know, VO2 max kind of things. And right away he saw that I was really fit and, um, just didn't have the, the base files behind me. And so he's like, you know what, start coming to practices. We won't have you run quite as long, you know, in between. And um, so we both kind of learned as we went that, you know, you can't, you just don't come out of the womb as a marathoner, you know, you have to work up to it. And everybody else he worked with in the past had some running background and I didn't, you know, so it was really interesting to kind of figure it out together. And he was just the best coach in the world in terms of um, being just really fun, really helpful. Um, just, uh, we were so lucky to have him as, as the woman's coach. He was, he was really fantastic. It's just a great culture on the team. I re I hear about some of the other, you know, running programs and how the, you know, there was sort of a culture, like a lot of eating disorders and all that kind of thing. And, um, just wasn't like that at all, at least from my experience. I mean, I didn't know all the runners, but, um, I just love being a part of it. He, he gave me the, uh, you swim and drink like a fish award at the end of the season. So he would kind of make fun of me. A lot of the runners were a little more um, type A and I was, I was kind of a nice change because I was a lot of uh, fun. <laughs> and yep. so he knew that I liked to um, uh, party a little bit on the weekends and things. So that's why he could not you. <laughs> yeah, some things never change. <laughs> so uh, I have a question. So I, before this interview, I'm thinking about you know, the sport of triathlon is, you know, so much different from running as far as, you know, strategy. Because, you know, when, when you, I'm running a race and I know there's somebody I want to stay with, they're right there. And the sport of triathlon, especially in Ironman, I mean, you got a guy, uh, a woman like uh, Wendy Ingram, who is, you know, a great swimmer. You're never going to know where she's at, it's, you know, because she's probably like way ahead of you, you know, most of the race. And, do you have a scout, you know, your husband say, oh, so-and-so's uh, uh, looks crappy, you know, you, you can yeah. get her or, you know, because yeah. you don't really see the people that you're really competing against, you know, like, because everybody's different and has weaknesses and strengths, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. how was that? 
Well, that's what kind of makes it fun, you know, is that, um, you know, you never count yourself out because, um, you know, just because you're behind on the swim and bike doesn't mean you can't catch up on the run. Um, and so, but it's a, it's a mental game a little bit because sometimes you can start kind of getting down on yourself when you're too far behind and you feel like, ah, you know, the race is happening without me. I can't get back into it. And I've definitely had that experience where it just spirals downhill a little bit. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a kind of mental game and you learn how to, uh, different tricks to stay, keep yourself, you know, um, focused, uh, for sure. I've learned over the years that it's easier when you're behind to get splits, you know, cause the, the spectators that are along the course can measure like, Oh yeah, start the clock when the first person goes by and I can tell the person in second, how far behind they are. But um, I've learned that, you know, there's some information you have to just discard because I remember the year that I raced Paul Newby Frazier, the year that I ended up beating her, but I came off the bike um, 12 minutes behind and I had done the math. I'm, you know, coming up with mental tricks to try and keep myself engaged. And I was not happy with being 12 minutes behind. This is the year I, I definitely was focusing on. I have to beat Paula this year because she said she was going to retire and, um, I had planned on staying with her on the bike. So I was kind of in a bad headspace a little bit, but anyway, I got off the bike and was trying to, you know, think positive. I'm like, I think I can run 30 seconds per mile faster than her. And if I can do that consistently, I'll catch her with two miles to go, you know, 24 mile mark. So that was sort of what I had in my head. And so I was relying on spectators to give me some, um, feedback that I was making progress. And I knew I had outrun her by four minutes in the first eight miles the previous year. So I'm like, just do that again. So, um, I was getting, I would get some, uh, you know, spectators that be like, she's like three miles ahead, you know, <laughs> like they, they would just throw out something right, right. miles is what, like 24 minutes or something. And, uh, and then the, and then just 30 seconds further down the line, someone say, she's only a couple minutes up, you know? So I learned to just filter, you know, kind of throw out the people that I knew had no clue. They weren't looking at their watch. They were just guessing, you know? And um, so it's, it's funny how you had to kind of uh, distinguish which uh, people you thought were trustworthy or not. <laughs> For sure. So Karen, yeah. uh, Karen on that point, there's a saying that, you know, my college coach who was known for sayings, you know, you know, the night before the night before is just as important as the night before the race in terms of getting sleep, you know, all those kind of old hackneyed kind of things. There, he used to say, you know, racing, competing is 90% mental, 10% physical. What do you think? <laughs> What's the breakdown? So funny for Ironman, I often tell people that it's 50%, um, mental, like you say, like a big part of it is just having your head in the right space and being willing to push yourself, et cetera. Uh, and then I often say it's 50% nutrition because Ironman, a lot of it is figuring out how can I eat to keep my energy level up and not screw it up so that I have too much and end up throwing up or um, bonking because I didn't have enough or the salt is off. So I'm cramping, you know, all that stuff. But then if you do the math, you realize that there's no physical component. So all you have to do is eat a lot and smile and you're, you know, you can do an Ironman. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure I have the math a little bit wrong. There's got to be a physical component in there somewhere, but it's very true that you can be in the best shape of your life and still not have your best race because of one of those other things going wrong. And, um, you know, you can only, especially with the nutrition, you can mimic it 
in training to some degree, but it's very hard to mimic it exactly. So a little bit of it is kind of troubleshooting along the way. And uh, um, so I always think that there's a tiny bit of, you know, luck involved. And um, so I never would take anything for granted. Even when I was in really good shape, um, I'd be scared to death because I would know that there's sort of this little element that could go, uh, go awry, you know? Um, so you talked about that, uh, you know, that, I think that's the year you won the, the Ironman when you tracked Paul and Newby Frazier down and on the run. And, you know, some of our listeners may not realize, you know, how good a runner you have been in the, are, and, uh, you know, you did compete on, in, in some track events. And I know at one point you competed at, uh, in Madison Square Garden. And I think you run like a 445 mile or something like that which, you know, back in the day was, I mean, it's still really fast, but that was really fast back in the day. Uh, I, it was definitely fast for an Ironman triathlete for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I had so much fun doing a variety of events in running because it was all fairly new to me, you know, because in college I'd really, I did three spring seasons and that was my, you know, first introduction to running. And that's, you know, that's barely scraping the surface of what you're capable of when you just are doing a couple months, um, per year. So when I got out of college, I was very intrigued with doing more with the running. Cause I knew like swimming, I'd kind of, you know, I put my heart and soul into it and I knew I was never going to be training like I did in college again. So, um, it was just a godsend to find, um, an, a sport that I could still improve in. And so finding that I loved, I liked to run, um, find discovering triathlon, it kind of gave me all these, you know, this potential to keep growing and, um, um, looking for new goals. So with the running, I joined a running club and, um, we started doing track workouts on a weekly basis. And, I got into this routine. I think a coach one point said, yeah, he really ought to do 40 miles a week every week. I was like, really? Okay. And so at this point, you know, I had built my running up and a few friends decided to um, try and qualify for the first uh, Olympic or is the second Olympic trials. I think we knew, I knew uh, somebody that had run in the first Olympic trials. That would have been 1984, right? For women. And um, so uh, we thought that was just so cool. And so a few of us decided to try and qualify in 88. And so, um, that became kind of a new goal for running. And, um, but at the same time I started doing in the winter time, these track races. Um, and so, yeah, I did everything from the uh, mile and, uh, just happened to get good enough to qualify for the nationals where be indoor nationals being held at Madison square garden. And I remember, uh, uh, Kim's, um, I don't know if it was husband at the time, but Tommy Rakoff saying, you know, that's an iconic place to run. Like you got to run there. You know, it doesn't matter if you're not going to, you know, win the national, just go. So you run Madison square garden. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so I kind of went to that thing, having no idea what I was doing, but, um, I, I had a blast. I think I was second to last, but, um, it was, it was really a fun experience. And, um, yeah, for me, yeah, four. I think I read four forty four was my best mile time, but I did run a four, uh, 20, I think some of the, my 1500, I think my, uh, the equivalent was like a 440, whatever that would have been 420. Is that right? Maybe anyway. Um, and then I did, I did end up, yeah, well, I did end up, um, qualifying for the Olympic trials in the marathon too. So I ran in the 1988 Olympic trials. Um, and, uh, that was my second, marathon ever. So the first marathon I qualified in, uh, San Diego 
and uh, ran 247 um, and then went to the Olympic trials. And unfortunately, I'd gotten very low in iron before that training probably for two Ironmans, I mean, two marathons. Um, when I'd never done that before. Um, and, uh, luckily I had a coach, Fred Tressler. He wasn't my coach at the time, but he saw me on the track and I was complaining about not being able to breathe and feeling like I was missing a lung or something and was really discouraged. And he's like, you know, Karen, that sounds like you might be low in iron. You ought to go have that checked. And, uh, and luckily he steered me in the right direction. And I had, um, I wasn't anemic, but very, very low iron, and was able to sort of turn it around before the trials. And um, I ran 242 at the uh, Pittsburgh Olympic trials. So super fun. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, you know, doing everything from the mile to the marathon, it was, uh, it was really just, uh, I enjoyed all of it, you know, it was all new and fun and I was setting PR. So what's not to like. <laughs> yeah. We weren't sure if you actually ran a marathon by itself but i guess i guess you just answered that question yeah i so, did uh, another merit standalone marathon until the uh i ran boston um the year after the bombing because i was so moved by the community coming together after that mm -hmm. i'm like i've got to run so but that was the yeah first time i ran one without having a swim and bike beforehand <laughs> so i wanted to ask uh, the question that i was asking these guys earlier um I wanted to ask you, uh, childbirth versus a marathon <laughs> or a trip, which is harder? <laughs> you know, I actually had two C-sections, but I was um, in labor for a good 48 hours with my first kid. Uh, it was a kind of a yeah, dysfunctional uh, thing. And I would have to say that I would do 10 Ironmans in a row before putting myself through that again. Um, you know, the thing with about marathons and endurance sports, it's you control the pain, right? You're the one pushing yourself uh, with the childbirth thing. I mean, it was probably partly also because I, I had to be put on a Pitocin to kind of move things along because everything had stalled. And so it's a drug that just makes the contraction super intense. And once that happened, I just felt like my body had been taken over by demons. Like I was like, Oh my God, you had no control. Didn't know when it was coming. And yeah, so I didn't like that aspect of, um, uh, uh, not being in control of things. So, um, during sports, you know, ultimately it's up to you how, you know, whether you keep going and how hard you push, you know, so that part of it, um, makes it a little more palatable to me. <laughs> then again, I did have two kids because, uh, having kids is also, uh, I guess it's worth the reward, you know, either that or mm -hmm. memory fades enough. I, I think if, if memory was strong, we'd all only have one kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Karen, on that point, there's been a lot of talk over the years of how motherhood in some cases, in many cases, ends up being a real boon to future athletic performance. What's your take on that? You know, I think that um, it, certainly people have shown that, you know, you can come back as strong as ever. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the support system you have in place. So I was very fortunate to, that my husband was, um, you know, very supportive about me continuing on with my career and, you uh, he was willing to take on a lot of the parenting duties so that I could do that. I think if you have a, you know, um, if you're a mom and your husband is working like high powered job for, 
many hours a week and you don't have, um, you know, parents or something that can help you or you can't afford childcare, it's a lot harder to, you know, you're exhausted, first of all, <laughs> fitting it all in. So a lot of it has to do with, you know, how well you have support, I think. Um, and, uh, and also, yeah, how much, you know, there's some people that just don't want to miss a second of parenthood either. Um, you know, for me, I thought, you know, occasionally I would like travel um, to a race. And so I'd leave, have to leave my kids behind. And that was heartbreaking in the beginning when they're really young, you know? Um, and, uh, but at the same time, you know, it was something I was doing for uh, financially supporting the family. Um, and I think in the, in the grand scheme of things, I also liked that my kids would see how important it was to me to, you know, it's sort of like being a good role model for your kids too, that you, um, you know, push yourselves to do these things, hard, challenging things and, uh, and, you know, have a life and not just completely a mom devoted to your kids. <laughs> I think it's good for the parents to have lives too. So, um, but anyway, I, in terms of the actual physical part of it, um, I don't know that I, I, I there was a, a little time when I got back into it where I felt like kind of better than I had before, but I don't know if it's just because after being, you know, 30 pounds or whatever it was, 35 pounds heavier that all of a sudden it's like weight training, you know, you get rid of the weight and you're like, oh my God, I feel like a million bucks. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> Okay. Uh, a speed round question. I've had to do this one on the fly. Okay. You talked about the 88 marathon trials. Uh-huh. You talked about running Boston again in 2014 and now seven or six plus years or thereabouts later. Favorite shoe that you would run in, in 88? What was it? Oh, geez. Um, I believe I was running in New Balance and um, I do not remember the names of the models back then. Um, it's okay. Yep. Enough of a brand. So it's okay. We, we, yep. New Balance. 2014. After the, you know, after the, the bombing. So mm-hmm. you're back then. What would you, what would you be running in your favorite? Uh, roughly that time? I was running in Saucony. Yeah. Okay. Today. Uh, today, if I could get a carbon fiber, anything, <laughs> that's what I would use. <laughs> so I've only used the uh, springy shoes once. Um, we did a little uh, mile <laughs> kind of fun run. Um, and I borrowed a pair and I was like, Oh my God, I felt like a kangaroo. Yeah. Um, so I would, uh, I would definitely, I don't, I haven't even, I, yeah, if I found, I could probably try a Nike pair. I think Hoka had, I, I have been wearing Hoka's for training now. And, um, I think they do have a carbon, uh, plated one. So, um, I think yeah. that's the I way I would we'd go. all like to go like to go back in time and maybe try those <laughs> shoes but uh yeah it's too late yeah. unfortunately for me see how it would right, impact Karen. uh your times Karen, i'm a little sick i have a sick mind so i'm going to ask you which is which would you describe i know nothing against you having a c-section but would you describe a c-section as a dnf uh, <laughs> uh performance enhancement or a hard training one if you were to <laughs> compare it <laughs> i know uh, I would not well, call it DNF. I know uh, I can see the analogy maybe, but um, um, you still get to the goal. So it's not a DNF, you know? So uh, 
Yeah, definitely a, a, a hard training run <laughs> with a few, you know, maybe bad weather or something that uh, comes unexpectedly <laughs> midway through because it was not planned. But, well, the second one was planned because uh, both pregnancies, I had a little um, Jenna turned out to be sunny side up is what they call it. Like she was sitting, um, facing her face was facing out instead of mm -hmm. facing in. And so it means that she couldn't do the curve out of the birth canal. So mm -hmm. no amount of pushing was going to get her out, at least out of my body. <laughs> and so, uh, they didn't discover it for, you know, two for 48 hours of, uh, trying. So that's why that was such a, uh, nightmare for me. But with the second one, I wanted to do a natural birth and, um, turns out Casey, my son, um, was breech. And so once they just, they did discover that before and, uh, with a month to go. And so they said, yeah, with a breech, we do not, you know, at my age, which I was over 40 and having already had a C-section, they are already on, uh, they don't encourage, um, having a, a natural birth after C-section, but they were going to allow me until they found out he was breached. And then they're like, ah, nope. So the scheduled C-section was a lot easier than, uh, um, unscheduled. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you do have a lot of cut muscles and, you know, there's, there's yeah. rehab involved in both. The good news is I could sit on a bike seat a lot earlier than, uh, having natural childbirth. <laughs> So, so Karen, we, we've all spent some time at the Elliott and I know, uh, that's obviously where you met Michael. Um, you know, that was a big part of, I think everybody's social life back in the day. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about how you bumped or stumbled onto the Elliott and <laughs> okay. some of the, uh, your favorite, I guess, Elliott, uh, memories. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, from Elliott is, a uh, very, strong place in my heart because, uh, so I was working full-time in the early eighties. After I'd gone out of college, I, um, got a job with a consulting company and it was on the same block as the Elliott lounge. And, um, it was computer consulting and back then, you know, something that could be done on your phone in like a blink of an eye. Um, we had these huge mainframe compute computers to run these programs on. And sometimes I would have to run the program and then just, wait four hours for, to make sure there were no errors. So I'd have to go back and check when it was done. And so I discovered there was this little bar next door that I could go wait for four hours there and then uh, <laughs> go back and, and check to see how the computer program had run. Um, so I, I had been in a few times and, um, but then I, I met Michael um, through my running club. Uh, his roommate at the time was helping time our running club and had a few of us back for pizza and so I met, um, met him briefly at, at that guy's at their house and, um, and then happened to recognize him at lunch hour when I was, um, going to, and from MIT to swim, um, Michael was out, you know, taking a break from working at the Elliott. He was, uh, managing it as well as an owner. And, uh, he's like, Oh, you know, uh, I met you the other day and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, where are you coming from? You can see I had wet hair. I'm like, Oh, I swim on my lunch hour over at MIT. And he's like, Oh, you know, I'm entered in a triathlon and I'm a terrible swimmer. I should probably go over there and swim too. And I was like, Oh yeah. If you want to join me, I'll, I'll, and he's like, Oh, well, you know, come knock on the door of the Elliot next time you go. And so I stopped by a couple of times, uh, the next time I went to swim and finally convinced him to come over with me. And, uh, gave him a few swim lessons and, uh, and then he asked me out on a date to thank me. So that's how one thing led to another there. 
Um, but then I found out, yeah, that the Elliot was quite the social hangout for runners. You know, it's got the pictures of all the, um, runners all over the walls. And, uh, after I would run like the Bonnie Bell, um, yeah, I think that's so great that that's the name of your dog, John. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah. The, the yeah. 10K for women, which has changed names over the years. But mm-hmm. um, we used to all go back to the Elliott after that or after just pretty much any running race. Um, the Boston Marathon, there would be like a week long party there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my favorite day at um, the Elliott, though, was uh, New Year's Day run, which mm-hmm. um, yep. was just a we'd blast. have to say the same. Yeah. And it's still, we still try and keep it going. It, it's um, not the same. There's no Elliot to start and stop at. And it's not, doesn't have the same uh, group of hardcore fast. I mean, there were some fast runners that used to do it. It was really fun. Um, but yeah. we used to have like, uh, you know, the dance party after the run. It was like 11 miles on the marathon course. But then we would often say, yeah, we better rent a room at the Elliott because we can't drive home after <laughs> that party. So, and then the crew races. Yeah, yeah, crew. It was, it was fun. I have to say, of all my memories, you know, of the running days and everything, um, my favorite memories are really the social parts that go that went along with it. You know, just all the people that we uh, met along the way and would have fun with after the race. Yeah. Karen, how long have you been coaching? Um, I really got into it when I was pregnant with my second um, child. So 2003 and four kind of, because I knew that um, it was going to be a little bit harder to come back and continue racing professionally. Um, At that time, I would have been uh, what, uh, 45, I think. (laughs) So um, I knew my my career was tailing down. But I'll tell you, I, I, I was like, you're gonna have to pry this pro card out of my cold dead fingers. Like, (laughs) I was having so much fun racing as a pro triathlon that um, I just, you know, I thought I am going to do this till the, you know, last possible moment, because, you know, being paid to do my hobby, that's still what I viewed it as. Um, and coaching was kind of a way of staying in the sport. I still, you know, get a ton of vicarious pleasure out of watching my clients do well, um, and staying involved in all the, you know, events. And, um, so, uh, yeah, coaching's second best to, uh, to actually doing it myself, but it's, uh, it's been, it's been fantastic. So you've been doing it a long enough time. So you've seen an arc. Are there any things that really come to mind that you've seen uh, that are different from when you started? Not so much in terms of the science and and all of that, and maybe the nature of the clients, but as races have developed, whether they be tri, you know, whether they be triathlons or or you know the the running elements. What yeah. kind of trends have you noticed um, since you started to where we are today? Yeah. Well, there's been a tons of developments. I mean, the sports come a long way. I mean, it just got into the Olympics in 2000. So having it in the Olympics has been cool on the, um, you know, short distance side of things. Um, it's, I think made it a little bit more, um, you know, uh, in the public eye, I guess, in some ways, um, having a American win the gold medal in, uh, Rio Gwen Jorgensen, that was very cool. Um, I would think though, that the, the main thing that I've noticed is just the, um, Ironman having grown so big and sold to an investment company, which it lost a little bit of its just homegrown grassroots, um, in it for the athletes feel, 
it's now a business and there are races, so many races um, all across the world, which is, you know, wonderful. And that so many more people are being exposed to it and, um, you know, able to do an Ironman. Um, but I also find that there's a whole bunch of people that want to do Ironman just kind of for a feather in there, kind of like the people that wanted to do a marathon back mm -hmm. maybe 20 years ago or 30 years ago during the running boom. Um, and it's, it's more just, they don't do it because they have fallen in love with the lifestyle of being a triathlete. Although some of them do um, fall in love with that, but um, there's a lot more people that kind of just, you know, want the cachet of having said they've done an Ironman, I guess. Um, and then I, a little bit of the races have become a little bit, I don't know, not generic, but they've lost a little bit of their personality because there's just so many of them and then they, they kind of have a formula for putting them on. I mean, every race is a little bit different, but, um, uh, I do notice that Ironman's gotten so big that they often either because of the race director wants to sell out or because they get forced out, but some of the local events eventually get taken over by Ironman and then they, they lose their special flavor that sort of the independent races used to have where a race director started it because they, have a passion for the sport and they have all these little, you know, cool, unique things about it. And once it becomes taken over, all those little things go away and it becomes more cookie cutter. So I, I guess that's one of my laments, um, to some degree, but, um, you know, it has grown like crazy and, uh, which is nice internationally, you know, there's races all over the world, every continent, um, which is cool. Um, and, um, I, I guess I wish that, more people realize that to be a triathlete, you don't have to do an Ironman. Like there's sprint races or, and that make, you're still a triathlete. If you do a sprint race, like a lot of people are like, I could never do a triathlon. It takes way too much training. You know, how I run training for a marathon. I'm like, no, you can train for a 5k and be a triathlete, you know? So I guess um, combating the, um, that kind of not stigma, but the reputation that triathlon equals Ironman is, um, is something I'd like to combat because Ironman does not fit into most people's lifestyle. You know, if you have a family and job and all that, it's hard to fit it all in, but to, you can be a triathlete and just train, you know, four or five hours a week, no problem. So, and that's a very balanced, fun lifestyle, you know, and, and, uh, there's a lot of really cute events you can do on the weekend and you you're done by 10 in the morning and go, go, go about the rest of your weekend. <laughs> I had one question that I didn't quite understand. And it's a quote that the uh, great sports writer from sports illustrated, Rick Riley oh, uh, yeah. wrote about you. Yes. Uh, the triathlete most likely to be eaten by a shark. Can you give us a little context um, behind that? Because I still, everything that I've been reading, up, you know, boning up on here, I don't quite see the connection. Is it the star-crossed okay. nature or, but yes, I, I need yes. a little help. I need a little okay. help. So he, yes, he, he was a very funny writer and he, he put that in that um, and I, I glommed onto it and added it to my resume because I thought it was very funny. So um, yeah, so this was leading up to the 2000 Olympics um, when triathlete was going to be in the Olympics for the very first time. And up through the 90s, um, I had been the top triathlete in the US for the women. I had won nationals seven times in a row, I think from 1990 through or yeah, 96. 
And, um, but then I had a string of accidents and injuries. And, uh, so I became known sort of as the, the hard luck kid. So in, um, you know, 95, I won Ironman and I won the Olympic distance the same year, which was kind of unheard of. Um, that was definitely a kind of a highlight of my career still is, <laughs> um, the following year I tried to defend my title at Ironman. I ended up having one of those nutritional things that I mentioned before can derail you. And I finished third. I was a little unhappy with that when it was hoping 97 to come back and reclaim the title. And, um, but in, um, 97, just, I was training for another Ironman, um, middle of the summer was had just finished my last long run and was removing a storm window from the back of our house for some unknown reason. I just decided to do this the day before flying out and the glass had either had a crack in it, something happened where the glass shattered all around me. And luckily I protected my jugular vein, but um, a piece of glass went through the back of my hamstring and sliced through the hamstring. So I went from, you know, being probably in the best shape of my life to um, having a cast on my leg where they repaired the hamstring and they're being told it was probably a um, six month rehab. And uh, so this, at this point, you know, I knew the Olympics was coming up in 2000 my husband and I had been talking, we definitely wanted to start a family, but we were like, oh, do we wait till after the Olympics? You know, if, you know, you can make an Olympic team. That's really cool. And I wanted to defend my title or, you know, try and get the title back in 97. But all of a sudden I had this six month rehab and I'm like nine month maternity leave. That's a pretty good layover. I say we go for it. So quickly, um, uh, decided to put plan B into action and, uh, didn't need my hamstring for that. And so, uh, <laughs> Jenna was born nine months later. Um, of course I had the C-section, which was another like, yeah, something to come back from. Um, but, and, um, she was born 98. I was out training again, trying to get back. Um, my leg was totally fine. Um, and when I was out training, I was hit by an 18 wheeler while I was out on my bike. Um, luckily not run over, just knocked off my bike, but the fall gave me, um, six broken ribs, separated my shoulder and a lung contusion. And so that knocked me out for the rest of 98. Um, but I tried to come back again in 99 and here the Olympics is getting closer now. Um, still trying to make the Olympic team. I had to 99, like build my, um, my ranking back up. And so I was going to a lot of Olympic races, gradually working my way back up, got at least qualified for Olympic trials and, um, uh, one last race in 99 to try and really boost my ranking up. And, um, a girl was in front of me draft legal triathlon. So we were riding close together. The girl in front of me's pedal fell out of her crank and, um, she, uh, fell right in front of me and I flipped over top of her and broke my collarbone. Um, that was in, uh, let's see, November, I think of 99. Um, and then I have to say that just about a few weeks prior to that, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. So I had like four kind of big accidents all within like a two year span, kind of at the height of my career leading into the Olympic trials. And so when they, uh, sports illustrated was doing a thing about the upcoming Olympics and I, I actually hadn't qualified for the team yet, but he called me the triathlete most likely to be eaten by a shark in Sydney. Cause there was a big talk about the tri the triathlon being held in Sydney Harbor where there's a lot of sharks. And, um, and so I thought that was very funny, but I, 
I tricked them and didn't end up making the Olympic team. So I never got to be eaten by the shark. <laughs> I remember when uh, the window accident, uh, I was working as promotions manager at Saucony. I was in touch with Mari Lacari and this guy, Hal, did the Saucony running and racing. Uh-huh. And I, I screwed up the story. I think I said that the glass cut your artery in your handspring. Oh. And, <laughs> a little exaggeration, but uh, I'm just so glad there was no internet back then because it would have been all over the place that you know you flew your uh, otter out of your leg. And, but uh, well, it was a, it was that. definitely a possibility. Like it, they said, yeah. it's a good thing. I mean, there is a big artery right there, and mm-hmm. I I have a scar on my arm where I had put it up to block my neck, and I seriously probably protected my jugular because. I since read, you know, stories about people where they did just, you know, it's, you do not have long if the glass goes through one artery and I was home alone. I, I called 911 because I saw how deep it was and I thought, all right, I'm either going to pass out, be, you know, or I did hit an artery and I better get this phone call in before I do pass out. So um, luckily I hadn't hit the artery and they were able to sew me up and I really have had a full recovery, which is fortunate. Yeah, you're lucky. And it led to uh, me uh, having uh, starting my family, which I, I totally look at as a silver lining. Mm-hmm. You know, it mm-hmm. was because I could, you know, as a that's the one thing about, you know, childbirth and you were asking about, you know, kids and, and athletic career. And, you know, when you're at the top of your career, just saying, OK, I'm going to take, you know, at least nine months off, probably more to come back from it. And uh, it's just, and, and have my body completely transformed into something, you know, who knows if I'll ever come back from it. It's a scary thing. And, um, uh, you know, the, at the time, I don't know that, um, you know, I had any contracts with, um, you know, I did, was with Saucony for a while there. I think I was with Nike when I was first having kids. And um, uh, yeah, there was no guarantee that you they'd keep sponsoring you through that, all of that. So um, yeah, it was a big crapshoot, you know. <laughs> oh, that's a riot. One final question. You've been really generous with your time, Karen, but we want to uh, be respectful of it. There's probably more clients and more, uh, more RPMs to deal with before the day is done. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I've been struck with in knowing you only briefly is that you seem pretty mellow. You, are, you, you don't fit, I think, what many of us would say would be the the kind of intensity, uh, type A-like behavior or personality um, <laughs> that I would normally associate with being a high level, really, really high level. Uh, you're not out for blood. Um, I mean, you're motivated, no question. So how, if, if you, as you reflect back on everything with, if you, if we call you a type B, uh, for example, first of all, is that, do you think that's type right? Z. I, I call myself type Z. I'm oh, so far from that, type then? A, it's not even funny. <laughs> yeah. So, but, okay. So, but then you're also bypassing B, C, D, and E all the way to Z. So how, how are you going to, how do you define yourself as type Z as compared to type B versus A? Okay, give us yeah. a little sense of that. Yeah. And how does it impact you? How did it impact you, what you're doing I, all the way along? Yeah. I don't know because I, I do coach uh, people and I find that, um, they are so disciplined compared to anything that I ever was. Like I'm, I'm just amazed by my clients and, and the other people I meet in the sport, you know, a lot of them are fitting their training in among, you know, their work and their families. And they get more done by seven in the morning than I get done by the end of the day. You know, um, 
I often wonder how the heck I did what I did. <laughs> but um, I, I think there's a few things that I had going for me. One is that I think because I did keep it fun and I was really doing it just because not because I was driven to, you know, succeed or prove anything. It was just, I love the lifestyle. I, I love having sports in my life. Um, I definitely am competitive. So I, I liked competing not only against um, other people, but also against myself, like seeing myself get better at things. Um, my dad tells the story of when we were kids um, that we had this little jungle gym that had um, like bars that you could do chin-ups on. And um, he did a couple of chin-ups and, uh, and, and we, a couple my sister and I uh, like did, did the same number as he did. And he's like, oh, you can try guys, but I'm always going to do one more than you can do. And, uh, and we took that to be like this huge challenge. So we started practicing all the time and we'd like, dad, dad, we did 12, you know, and he'd be like, okay, I guess I got to do 13. And we'd go out and do 13. But after a while we got up to like 20 and he's like, okay, that's enough. We quit. <laughs> so it was very funny that we were all, you know, competitive from a very early age. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess, I, I guess what I was going to say is that because I've kept it fun and on a level that really just, it didn't feel like sacrifice to me. I think a lot of people, mm -hmm. when they're training for something big, their whole life changes. And it's like, just for now, I'm going to forego this, this, and this, because I have this big goal. Well, I didn't forego anything. Like I kept my life fun and just in balance the way I liked it. So I had a really long career. I mean, I didn't hit my, my best year in triathlon was 95. Probably I'd started triathlon in 84. I mean, that's 11 years of doing the sport and just consistently getting better, getting better, um, learning and, um, figuring out better ways to train and, um, surrounding with my, myself with other people that like to do the same thing. So a big thing was moving to Boston and having right away a running club that, you know, they love to run. And so it was part of my social life to, you know, go do a workout and then go out for pizza and beer and, uh, <laughs> you know, go do a running race and then go to the Elliott. So all these things were tied together as a really fun, you know, lifestyle. And it wasn't like, I ever felt like I was sacrificing anything, which is why, like I said, in my mid forties, I'm like, I'm keeping this going. This is a blast. I can't imagine doing anything else for money, you know? <sighs> Wow. Well, uh, Karen, that is a real coda uh, to the end of a fabulous conversation um, that I've, well, I've, I won't speak for Ron or, or for John either, but it's been, I've really enjoyed uh, the time with you today. Oh, well, thanks. I've enjoyed talking with you guys. Brings back yeah, some good been, memories. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Really is. Well, on, on behalf of both Ron Galuli and John Gorman, I'm Grant Whitney, and thank you for joining us on this installment of the Runner's Reunion podcast. We look forward to catching up with you again on the roads, on the trails, and on the track. Take care. <laughs>